welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. once again and a happy Super Bowl Sunday to you all. Um, wanted to uh, explore the idea that there is a, a drastic difference between thinking about something and experiencing it. Difference between thinking or imagining and experiencing it. Uh, for example, uh, in the Willis Tower there is that lookout ledge on the sky deck and, and some of you may have seen pictures of what it would be like to be there. And you might imagine what it would be to, 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 again, look over the landscape or look down and have, you know, nothing beneath you. Um, I, I think it's different to imagine what that's like and then actually be there, you know, sit there. Um, I actually had opportunity, and, and if you uh, look down and you start jumping, it's like, uh, it kind of makes you dizzy. I think vertigo or something, I don't know, but uh, it's almost like you're flying, you know, so. Uh, but it's totally different to experience that. Super Bowls today. Um, Curious, so let's just take a poll. How many think uh, the Broncos will win? Okay, that's, that's not the majority. How many think uh, Panthers will win? Okay, okay, yep, so more Panthers. And, uh, and you might imagine what it would be like to play in the Super Bowl. Maybe there are some young kids, and, and maybe there will be ones on the field today who they just dreamed about being out there. But I got to imagine that actually having that experience, the cameras on you, the lights of the field, that moment is going to be completely different than what you might imagine. Um, the same is true with food. I can imagine eating my favorite food, which is... It's the chestnut glazed donut at Donut Vault. Chestnut glaze, anyway. And, and it's one thing to imagine, you know, and have the taste buds go there, but it's another thing to sink your teeth in and consume it. So imagination and experience are different, right? Same with words. Uh, words and experience are different as well. Uh, for example, does anyone ever tell you their travel story? Maybe someone visited your home and they came with like four photo albums of a trip to Europe. And after five hours, you know, you, you heard words about Europe, and you saw a ton of pictures, uh, but you're, you're still not sure what it would have been like to be in the Colosseum, what it would have been like to be in Germany or wherever that was. Difference between words and experience. The same is when we speak about emotions. You know, it's one thing to go to our kids and to say, you know, I love you, I love you. 
It's another thing completely to give them a hug or to tuck them in. And uh, same if you're romantically inclined. You know, it's something to say, I love you. It's another thing to, to kiss someone um, and go from there, right? And, um, well, here's where I'm going with this. We're in this series called Starting Point. And one of the things we've learned is that God exists and he loves. And, and I'm here to tell you he, he loves you because he calls sinners of which we are and he loves you. And, and yet some of you may, may be pausing and wondering, man, this question. Could I have an experience of God's love? Because if that were possible, sign me up. You know, I, I struggle because I hear God loves me, but, but how can I know for sure? And what could I experience? And if you've ever asked this question, can I experience God's love? Well, you are in luck. Because what we're talking about in the next two weeks is real experiential knowledge of the love of God. What we're, what we're going to talk about is the sacraments, the sacraments of baptism and communion. And, and with that, uh, give you a simple definition of what a sacrament is. I believe it is tangible grace. It is something that we can touch. It's something that we can feel, sense, eat, taste, touch. It's tangible way of receiving grace is a, a, a way of saying God's love, his amazing love, his unconditional love. It's a way of experiencing that. Um, in baptism, you have water, right? You have the water that you can feel that goes over your head, or maybe you were immersed. It, it doesn't matter, but um, you can experience that sensation. In the Lord's Supper, you can taste, you know, that wine, and you smell the wine or the grape juice, and, and that, that wafer that maybe gets stuck to the top of your roof or of your mouth or whatever. But anyway, you taste it, right? And uh, you have the experience of what's going on. Well, to, to get our bearings on what a sacrament is, I, I need to do a little bit of teaching, so if you'll bear with me. Uh, there are three things that we believe make up a sacrament, so this is a review if you were in starting point last week, but um, uh, just to, to how we define a sacrament, um, three things. Number one is that it was instituted by Jesus. Uh, we saw that in the first lesson. Jesus was baptized by John, instituting it. Um, in the upper room with the disciples, are celebrating the Passover, then he institutes a new ceremony. As he said, this is my body, this is my blood. A second thing has to do with what I'm talking about. It has an earthly element. And so in baptism, you have water, which again, you can feel. Um, it's an experience. In the Lord's Supper, you have the, the wine, the grape juice, and the bread, which you can see, taste, and touch. So that's part of that experience. And then finally, it offers and gives forgiveness. It's not just a remembrance of forgiveness, but in a real way you are forgiven. In a powerful way you are forgiven. It's a way to receive um, those blessings. So what we're wanting to talk about today is baptism, if that's all right. And uh, I, I can't think of a more powerful lesson to preach on um, because what we have is the day of Pentecost. And if you grew up in church, you maybe heard of Pentecost. And, and if you're new to church, you might be wondering, what is Pentecost? And, and Pentecost is just a reference to 50 days. 50 days after Easter is Pentecost. 50 days is the word Pentecost. But, but better than the explanation of the word Pentecost is what happened. The Holy Spirit came out, and he was poured on the disciples. And the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak languages they had never learned, and, and Peter was able to preach a sermon. And what we have here is the tail end of Peter's sermon, where he basically says, you guys in this crowd, you killed Jesus. You guys in this crowd, you're the reason he died. And then he says, now say you're sorry, and be baptized. And that's where we pick things up. So let's get into our lesson. 
um, from Acts chapter 2. I invite you to follow along. It says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Here it is. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, whenever I hear that about 3,000, this is a tangent, I just, wouldn't that be great at Amazing Love? We got an anniversary coming up. I want to see like 3,000. That'd be great. I don't know what to do with all those people. I'm sure we'd run out of Aurelios. But anyway, I would like to see 3,000 people coming to God. Can I get an amen? Anyone here? Right, right. This is, this is the dream, right? And, and caught up in the dream in what made this day so great is baptism. This gift that he wants everyone to receive, better than Aurelio's, but it's a gift that he wants everyone to receive on this special day. So that's what we want to talk about. And uh, let, let, let's, let's, let's talk more and may God bless our discussion of these words. Um, so to continue, this past week, I um, was watching ESPN. Sorry if you don't always watch ESPN, but I was watching a 30 by 30 production of the 85 Bears. 30, anyone see that? It was on, okay, a few people, thank you. Typically men. Okay, but anyway, bear with me. And I learned a lot about the 85 Bears. I didn't know that Buddy Ryan and Mike Ditka did not get along. Buddy Ryan, the defensive coach, and Mike Ditka didn't know that. Didn't know how crazy the set of characters were. Like you had Mongo, who's just like, he seems like a crazy man. Anyway, and uh, still does to this day. And, <laughs> and you had the fridge, and, and you had uh, Jim McMahon, who was known as kind of a party guy. And, and it's just kind of crazy. But but what really struck with me, because I got a Wisconsin background, <laughs> was how the, the rivalry heated up and, and how Jim McMahon got injured. See, they dominated in 85. And in 86, they were on the way to continue to dominate. Buddy Ryan was gone, but they still had the cast of characters until, let me bring it up for you, Chris Martin, after the interception, picks up Jim McMahon, the play was over, slams him to the ground, and he dislocates his shoulder. Because of this, he's done, the season is wrecked, and you can imagine the bad blood between the teams, right? And so, uh, Bears and Packers fan, is there a rivalry there? I don't, maybe a little bit, I don't know. Keep the peace, anyway. Um, but uh, where my mind went is like, this is just about the worst thing you could do, right? They're on the upswing and, and they're maybe gonna win another Super Bowl. It reminds me of what is the worst thing you could do? Probably the worst thing you could do is take out their quarterback through a nasty late hit. That's a bad thing to do. It reminds me of other worst things that have happened. Worst things have happened. I don't know if you know this, but figure skating is contentious. It is. You know, there's a lot of emotions in figure skating. And I'll give you my point in case. You guys know, a little bit of Nancy Kerrigan, and Tanya Harding, right, hired someone who had a police baton to the knee, 
And that is just about the worst thing you can do in the field of sports. Take out your competitor by a baton to the knee. Consider the music industry, and I'm not a big rap guy. I think there's some themes that maybe you should avoid. But anyway, it kind of reminded me of, like, I've heard of Tupac and Christopher Wallace or Biggie. You know, if one guy dies and then the other guy got to die. And, and, and it just I'm on this theme of, like, what is the worst thing you can do? That, that's pretty bad, too, I think, you know. Sounds like it. Anyway, um, as bad as all of these are, it is nothing compared to what the crowd just did and what they were condemned for doing. Let's get back in here. Peter basically says in their face, you killed the Savior of the world. You did. This crowd. The Savior came. He was God's Son. He was here to rescue us. And you are the ones who crucified and were there witnessing his death. Look at verse 36. It says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, everyone who's gathered. God made Jesus who you crucified. And Peter was maybe giving eye contact to someone he saw in the crowd on Thursday yelling crucify. He, he could have, I remember you. What was it, Bob? Yeah, you were yelling crucify pretty loud there. Peter could have seen someone who was at the cross observing and mocking Jesus. And Peter could have said, yeah, was that you, Carrie? Carrie um, yep, I saw you, right? And he was saying, basically, you did the worst thing ever possible. You killed the Son of God, the Messiah. I saw you. You were there. Now, it's, it's one thing as a Christian, you know, if you've been around Christ for a while, you know that it was our sins that killed Jesus, right? So we understand he died at our hands too because our sins led him there. We get that. But I do think it's another thing if you actually were part of killing Jesus. <laughs> if you actually live there, and, and let's say you have skeletons in your closet, that's a pretty big skeleton to have in the closet, I killed Jesus, right? And it kind of reminds me of this topic What's your worst? And I don't want to dwell there. But isn't it true we have some Tanya Harding moments, some Chris Martin moments, some moments like they did? Isn't it true that we have things that, that we're just ashamed of? That we, we did things that we didn't want anyone to know and, and aren't proud of, and, and we have the worst in our background. We all do. Welcome to the club. We all do. And what we would deserve is the worst of God's wrath. What we would deserve is that he would say, yeah, you guys have no right to my love. You guys are separated from me completely forever, and, and I'm done. But Peter says to those who did their worst and to us who've done our worst, he says there's a way to be made right. And how sweet this must have sounded. Because in verse 37, we saw they were cut to the heart. They knew what they did. But then he says, you want to be made right? Verse 38. Look what, look what verse 38 says. He says, so repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. You want to be made all good? You want to have it completely square with God again? Even though you killed his son? Be baptized for the forgiveness. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of of your sins. And, and this is a remarkable deal. It is a remarkable offer. 
that he would say we're all square, all the bad blood generated would be done through the simple act of repentance and baptism. It's, it's a remarkable, I mean, what would it take for Packers and Bear fans to get along? It would take more than this, I think. But anyway, for, for killing the Son of God, he says, you just repent and be baptized, we all good. It, it reminds me of those discussions. You ever hurt someone and you ask, are we good? You know, we good? You know, maybe you laughed in their face, you hurt their feelings, you ate their donut, and you're like, I'm sorry, we good? You know? And, uh, and it's so great when, when you kind of feel things out and like, yeah, we good. You know, we good. Peter's saying, you want the we good from, from, from God? You want the heavenly, you're good? It's through baptism. It's offered to you this day because of our Savior and the waters that cleanse us. And you can hear from God, you good? You good? You good? And so there's other passages that speak of this. Uh, for example, uh, be baptized and wash your sins away. Another example that, that, that all of our dirtiness can be washed clean. Or look at this, baptism saves you. It's not just the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience. We good from God or toward God. So the first point is this, baptism cleanses us from our worst. Have you been baptized? I need to tell you then, your worst is gone. And we good. Does this sound like a nice offer? Well, it's for you if you haven't been baptized. This is the greatest offer I know how to make. If you haven't been baptized, if you know someone who hasn't been baptized, if your kids haven't been baptized, this, this is something that I think there should be a lineup for. There, there should be 3,000 or 5,000 or a million people lining up if that is really true. If my worst can be covered because I was baptized, this is, this is incredible, incredible news. And this is what Paul or Peter was saying at, at that sermon. But there's more. There's more. So it cleanses us of our worst, but, but now I want to talk a little bit of where it falls into line in our faith life. When should I do this? Where does it fall in line? And, and, and here it kind of reminds me of, have you ever had to do something very complex and you had to take the steps right in order? And if you didn't follow the steps, it'd be all screwed up. For example, whenever you paint a room, I don't know if you guys are painting experts, but I don't have a steady hand, which means I have to prep a lot. Right? And so that means the tarp has to go out. I have to do the painter's tape. Pretty much that takes the, the whole time. It's the painter's tape because I don't have a steady hand. And if I don't do that, I can't start painting. If I just skip to brushing, it's not going to go well. It reminds me of taxes. What do you need to, to get your refund? I wish you could just, you know, here's your refund at the end of the But you can't do that. You know, it starts with collecting your W-2s. And now for me, you know, before I can move on, I have this tax deduction where I have to collect all my housing figures. So anything I spent on housing, I get a tax deduction, which is really cool. You should be a pastor. Anyway, um, and, uh, and I get this discount because I'm a pastor, but I can't move on and, and square with the government till I get the housing details. You know what I'm talking about? Well, what this means for baptism is that when you're starting out in your faith, when you're just getting going, baptism should become first. Um, baptism is of first importance. And, and we see that because Peter, I mean, they just heard of the way of salvation, but he says, be baptized today. And he's not, you know, checking whether you truly believe. How can you do that with 3,000 people? He's just saying, receive this. This is your first step to experience the tangible grace of God. We understand it's of first importance through other scriptures. There was a jailer in Philippi who asked uh, Paul and Silas, uh, what can I do to be saved? 
And they responded, believe in Jesus, for believing is receiving him. And then look what happens. It says, at that hour of the night, that very day, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. There's another experience where there is an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading from Isaiah and wondering, what is Isaiah talking about? And, and, and Philip came and said, this is about Jesus. And he shared with them the Messiah, the Savior, the good news. And look at what they did next. It says, look, here's water. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch said. And he doesn't have a name, by the way. That's why I'm calling the Ethiopian. I don't know why he doesn't have a name, but that's... Anyway, he says, here's the water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And the answer is, nothing can stand in the way. And so what we invite, again, is any and all to receive this grace. For any and all to be baptized and to um, have this gift of God. But you know, a question I get as a pastor, um, you know, because there are different thoughts about it. I'm just trying to prove from Scripture why we believe what we believe. But, but a question I get is, you know, is this really for everyone? Is this really, for example, for my children? Well, well I want to I talk a little bit about that, okay? So let's talk about, is it really for all? And um, it reminds me of cases where, uh, like, everyone can get something. I love it when, when everyone gets something free. For example, um, I remember when it was the World Series November 5th and uh, there was a stolen base. Uh, Taco Bell said, uh, everyone gets a free crunch wrap if they come between 7 and 11. And if you're wondering, did I get my free crunch wrap? I sure did. Yes, I did. And it was delicious. Anyway, everyone who comes can get it. So there's no exclusions. Everyone who shows up, everyone means everyone. Um, another example of this, I went to a fashion show. Don't do this often. And there was a celebrity there. The fashion show got canceled because of lightning. And then they said, everyone who was in this fashion show has the opportunity to meet our celebrity. And so because I was part of everyone, I met that guy. And uh, just name dropping there. But anyway, Team Tebow, yes, I met that guy. Um, I, was, I was trying to understand a little bit more about everyone, and I just Googled it. And I found this clip understanding what everyone means. It's, it's from a movie. Um, I've never seen this movie. I don't know if it's any good, but he does a good job describing what everyone means. Are you ready for it? Here's the clip. I told you. Benny. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Okay, that's a little intense. I'll grant you. But, uh, but it, it kind of makes it clear. And uh, so anyway, when, when, when we talk about repentance and baptism, look again at verse 38. It says, repent and be baptized. What's that word that comes next? Oh, it is everyone. Okay, got it. And then if you're still fuzzy on the details, Jesus, when he was giving us the great command or the great commission, he says, go and make disciples of who? Of all. I don't know what you know about the word all, but all means all, and that's all all means. And he said all should then be baptized as well. And so, if I haven't been clear, baptism is for everyone. No exclusions. Everyone. But here's the deal. I know many of you have been baptized. Am I true? Yeah. And so maybe a bigger deal is not what, when, or who, but what's it mean now? What can, what can I do with it now? What, what, how does this speak into my life now? How can I use this? Well, the first thing it does is it identifies family. It's the identification of the family that now I'm a part of. 
How many of you had a small family growing up? Small family member? How many of you had a big family? Okay. Kind of interesting to compare. This is a, a family picture. We're in El Paso, Texas. There's me. I had a brother and a sister. So I guess we're average, you know, a family. I have dad too, so we're a family of five. But then I married into a weird family because my wife is one of seven. And that's weird because how do you relate to it's such a big family? I don't even know how that works. It's crazy. Consider all the laundry. That's nuts. Anyway, um, did you do your own laundry? I don't know. Anyway, um, but, but then I look at like, this is their gathering, you know? So this is what seven kids, you know, and then their, their children have. And it's just like, holy cow, that's a big family. Um, well, what I find is that um, as big as that family is, uh, this principle, that baptism makes us part of a huge, huge family. It really does. Uh, when, when our earthly relationships fade away, we're going to get together with brothers and sisters, and our brothers and sisters are basically those who believe in Jesus. Um, we are connected with everyone who has ever and, and does ever believe in Jesus. That is our family. And I, I just thought we should test this out. Maybe you should turn to the person next to you and say, hey, sister, hey, brother. Let's do that now. Hey, sister, hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, brother. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, um, it's pretty cool that now I just got this huge, messy family, and you're a part of it. And I didn't know, you know, you're my brother and my sister, and that's, that's really cool. And, and, um, and, and that's because we're heirs. And what do heirs have? Heirs have an inheritance. And what is our inheritance? We're, we're heirs of eternal life through baptism, and so we have the same heavenly home through baptism. And I just think that's really cool that, that you guys are brothers and sisters, and we're just going to hang out for eternity, and, and that's how God sees it through baptism. And what I also like is what a big family does for each other. Because when a big family's working right, you know what they do? They protect one another. You ever see that? A big family has each other's back. And I know this because I had to go through five older brothers that she uh, had, right? And I had to get approval from five older brothers that I was copacetic, you know, to date this one girl, right? And that's a gauntlet. Now, they were easy, but anyway, um, it's a lot because families got each other's back. And, and, and what you need to know now, because you've just gained a whole bunch of brothers and sisters you didn't even know about, is that you have now all those people who got your back. And that's what the Christian family was supposed to look like, and that's what the church was supposed to look like, that you now have brothers and sisters who, like, care for you, who pray for you, who are there to support you and guide you, who are there to tell you things that you need to hear and tell you things maybe you don't want to hear and tell you all the, all the things that God wants us to do. I see that's what Peter did in, in verse 40. In verse 40, he said, So with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them. And pleaded can also be translated, he encouraged them. It, it, it's a double nuanced word. He encouraged them. He, he told them what they needed to hear. That's what you gain through your baptism. This family. Who's going to be there for you? Who's got your back? who maybe will pray for you or support you or tell you what you need to hear. And um, it's a pretty awesome thing. There's one other thing, though, that you can use on a daily basis that baptism reminds you of. And that leads me to this thing. And you're like, what is going on here, Pastor? And why is the water black? I don't know why the water's black, by the way. I don't know. Um, but uh, one of my favorite ways to look at the implications of baptism is through a childhood toy. Um, did anyone have these childhood magic capsules? 
And if you ever played with a magic capsule, got it from Michael's, um, you know that once you put them into water, they are completely different. Now, it takes some time, um, which is unlike baptism, but anyway, um, you put them into water, wee, and then after time, look at what happened to this guy. Um, nice. That's ooey gooey. Anyway, um, he's a dinosaur. And, uh, and my point is, <clears throat> he's not this anymore. And my other point is, if I tried to get him back into that, well, that thing is on my fingers, and it would not work. <laughs> That's weird. Anyway, um, this thing cannot go back to what it was. It is now completely different because of the water. The water has completely made it new. It is, is, is a dinosaur. Is this a stegosaurus? I don't know. I don't have my dinosaur knowledge. But anyway, um, I can't go back. You need to know. Okay, so that was a silly illustration. Here, here's my point. Baptism made you new. When you were baptized, you were changed and made completely different. You are not what you were. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he gave you strength to progress. And maybe you even look at your life and you're like, I'm so glad that God is continuing to make me new. Because all who are in him are a new creation. And maybe you look at your life and you're like, I'm so glad I'm not what I was. And I'm not who I was. But God is continuing to refine me. What you need to know is that through those same waters, it's, it's evidence that he continues to make us new. We can have confidence that he will continue to change us and transform us. That maybe you have in your mind, I would like to be this way for God. I would like to be this way as far as a character person. He can do it. He made you new then. He can continue to make you new. And maybe you'll never be made perfect, but you can be ma make progress. I love that phrase. You can't be made perfect, but you can make progress. He makes us new. Here's a passage. He saved us through the washing. And what is this a washing of? Rebirth. It changed you. You had spiritual life and renewal. You're made new by the Holy Spirit. That's confidence that even though I'm a sinful pastor at one stage here, maybe he'll, he'll make me new to another stage so I can reflect Jesus even better. So they can see the love of God, the Savior of the world, even better. He can do that for you as well. So it's pretty awesome, this gift of baptism. I believe it is tangible grace, an experience we can have to prove he truly loves us. That he cleansed us from our worst. That we can be made new and that, yes, we're part of a family. Let me pray for you, brothers and sisters, right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace that though I was unworthy, you didn't run away from me. Rather, you entered in. And Jesus came in and he died for all my sins. And then Jesus gave me this gift of baptism where I could be convinced I am your child, that I am loved, that I am yours. Lord, we pray that many others would receive this gift. Draw people to yourself through these waters and cleanse them and build your church. In Jesus' name, amen.